this morning we have one of our own this morning. Uh, Todd and Sherry have been here probably over a year or so, been members for several months. And um, I just want to say just for a quick minute, I said last week, uh, Matt Baker, when Matt was here, that uh, I forgot, that I left off a couple words here. I said that he was one of the most encouraging people to me. Uh, I meant outside this church. I didn't say it like that, but outside this church, Matt was one of the most um, encouraging. He is one of the most encouraging. Well, Todd is one of the most encouraging inside the church to me. Uh, we've talked several times and had them over and just kind of, you know, um, talked with them and met their family and kind of got to know them a little more. And, um, and I don't do this, I don't introduce uh, just to, for man's sake to put man on, on the pedestal up here. But I just want to, it's just another reason why uh, these last, well, these nine, uh, it'll be a total of nine Sundays as Steve is gone. It's just another uh, reason that, that we're thankful for men who come up here uh, each Sunday that can fill in and, and just keep everything going. So, um, Todd, thank you. Tony was reading earlier what Paul said, O wretched man that I am. As though I am very honored to have the great compliment from Tony. Um, and I don't say this to brag, because actually in reality you can brag this way. I'm a vile, miserable individual. Without Christ, you would hate me. You would hate me. If you could peel Christ away from me, you would not like what you see. So, though I am thankful for the compliment, it really is Christ in me. I want you, if you will, please look in Colossians chapter 3. And while you turn there, I want to say that having been in ministry for 20 years, there's a danger to it. I was talking with our pastor about a month ago, and I was telling him that one of the dangers of ministry... It's easy to flip the switch on autopilot. It is. To structurally put a sermon together and to share it may sound difficult, but if you understand the structure of it, one can easily stand up here and read. I'm not minimizing the role of pastoring and preaching. I am saying that if we're not careful, it's easy to flip the switch and it to become autopilot. And so having been, as I told Mark earlier, out of the saddle for two years, I must say it is literally a scary thing. I lie not to you. I preached a lot of sermons, and my knees truly are shaking right now. They are. And that's not to brag in a way of that poor Todd. No, 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 no. It is to say that I realize now at this moment that I preach truly for an audience of one, not for yourself. It is truly that he would be pleased with me. And so, I have to make sure that I pray that God would put the desire to please man to death in me daily, especially now. Who doesn't want to be told, what an amazing sermon. Wow. I just want the Lord to smile, though, in the end, because I will answer to him. So, I say to you what your pastor does every week 
though it may seem just nice, you know, just, it just flows, boom, boom, boom. Please understand, it is an awesome task to stand here and to share with you, not just explaining a verse, but thus saith the Lord, because in the end, he or anyone that shares on behalf of the Lord will answer to the Lord for that. So I say all this to say, it is an awesome task right now. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, within all the pulpits across the country that are preaching the gospel and across this globe, please put all of us to death, our desire to please men and our pride that we hold so dear to our heart. Please, truly, put that to death in us and remind us how little we are and how big you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you would please, as I say, look in Colossians chapter 3, and as our pastor does, would you please stand as we read the Word of God. I'm going to be starting in verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You may be seated. I have to tell you that I am a recovering buffet lover. I'm serious. So Ron and I can share with one another now. I can relate now to people with diabetes like never before. It was all in my family pointing to me, and then I get that wonderful news uh, couple months ago, and my sugar was through the roof. So I don't have, I, I, my body produces sugar, it just doesn't know how, so I don't have to take insulin. I take another medicine that helps my body process sugar, but I drive by those buffets. I'm thinking, oh, 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 oh boy, my wife wouldn't know. No one would know. The tough thing, though, about diabetes is not now the blood sugar. It's something that's called A1C. It'll tell on you. It takes a 90-day average. So I can cheat and feel great next week. But it's going to show because it's going to bring the average up. So I say all this to say that, you know, the Christian buffet, what in the world? You'll see in a moment. But we live in a culture that loves buffets, though. You think about this. The place where we can go and we can eat till we feel sick. 
The ability to eat what you want and to eat as much as you want is just exciting. Let's be honest. It really is. We love to eat the things that we like. We love to throw aside the things that we don't like. And so we give no thought to the things that we skip over because we just don't care for them. So all of you that love cauliflower and broccoli, y'all can have at it at a buffet. Because if it's got bacon and meat, I want to pull my chair up to the buffet and I want the restaurant to pay me to leave because I'm going to make them regret having a buffet. But it's a situation, and I say all that because I don't have to eat the stuff I don't want. I can pick what I like. So what's with the... Christian buffet reference. I mean, what's, what's with that reference? Follow me. Just like we do at restaurants with our food, in our walk with Christ, we pick and choose when and how our beliefs are shown and expressed. There are sacred things that we feel are dear to our heart, that we hold close to our heart, that we have no problem sharing openly about. And then there are other things where we check our Christianity in at the door and as if Christ meant very little to us or nothing at all. We do pick and choose. All of us do. One of the passions that that I have And I'm thankful that God has given people in the church different passions. I am thankful that God has given Peter a passion to see people saved, but to be very frank with you, you all and we all should care to see people saved. But some are no doubt, though, let's be frank and clear in Scripture, some are gifted, though, in those areas, and that's wonderful, too. The passion that I have is the church not acting like the church, but acting like the world. It grieves my heart when people call us hypocrites for good reason. Agreed, lost people don't want to hear anything, and if they see anything odd, they're going to look for a reason, no doubt. But when we give them good reason, shame on us. So, if you think about this, though, for a moment, is there really a neutral place where we can take off that helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, and our breastplate of righteousness and our shield of faith? Is there a place where we can take that off? And and, uh, is there a place where we can just sort of leave Jesus behind and do our own thing? Is there? Not according to... To Colossians. Colossians 3 is probably one of the strongest chapters I've read in a long time of our behavior as Christians. Paul says there's no way that we can take those off. So we go to the Christian buffet, and I think I will choose a little kindness today, not, un- not forgiveness. Forget that. I'm not in the mood for that one today. I've got a few people that I'm a little ill at right now. But kindness, I can be. I can be gentle. 
You know, I can trust, I can obey, but that forgiveness, I won't have any of that today. Maybe next week I'll choose that off the buffet. So picture the buffet of having all these attributes, the fruits of the Spirit, or as we were reading starting in verse 12, so many of these wonderful attributes, and we pick and choose what we like, but I don't see in Scripture where you can leave some off. But we do. I do. You think about this. Is there a place? Is there a, an event? Is there a relationship? Is there a thought where Christ should not be considered and should not be honored? Any well-meaning, I suppose, Christian would say, of course not. Well, how is it that we do this? How do we come to that? How do we get to this place where we choose to go to the Christian buffet and don't have a plate of everything. How do we do that? I've thought about this for a long time. I mean a few years, and it really has really convicted me. We have compartments. I have my work compartment. I have my friend's compartment. I have my Christian slash church compartment. I have my entertainment compartment. And there is one rule about the compartments in our life. They never mix. My Christian church department should never mix with my entertainment, ever. It doesn't mix. It shouldn't mix, you know. That's, that's the view that we have. It doesn't mix. That's why us guys, we can get together and we can say things a little edgy, you know, that maybe we wouldn't say in church. But hey, it's, that's my compartment over here, you know. And this is my compartment. Here's a good one. <clears throat> no, I'm not taking up any soapbox. That's how we have people that will call themselves Christians that have no problem supporting abortion. Because my politics never mixes with my Christian compartment. It should. It should. It has to. It has to. Because when they do not mix and when we have compartments, that's when we're called hypocrites. Because, see, understand me on this. The world expects us to have Christian, Christianity mixed with all of our compartments. They expect it. They expect that we wouldn't curse. They expect that we wouldn't carry ourselves in a way that is dishonorable. They expect us, us not to cheat on our spouse. They expect us to show integrity. They expect us not to cheat on our taxes. But for some weird reason, we as Christians find our created loopholes and we create those, department, those compartments, and those compartments are very clearly defined. And so that is how we go to Christian buffets. You see, that's, that's what we have come to. <clears throat> and it's sad that we have this view that they shouldn't mix. As I say, it's one of the reasons that our culture calls us hypocrites because we will act one way at home and we will act one way at work and we will act one way doing business dealings and then we come to church and we're totally different. 
Gentlemen, let's just be honest. If your wives were brutally honest, would they say that you're a different man here than you are at home? Ladies, would your friends say that you're different at church than you are when you go to homeschool groups, go to the grocery stores, go out to have ladies' nights out, whatever? Would they say you're different? Is there some things that we can do that are off the table at church, but out, off, they're on the table outside of church? Really? Should it ever be different? <clears throat> How many of you, and if you haven't, that's okay. How many of you have ever run, read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? Anyone? Raise your hand. Anyone? All right. <clears throat> John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress, and I remember reading this, and uh, it just, one of those, I was reading across something, and it popped in my head the other day. The character Christian is talking to faithful, and he describes the character called talkative. You know what he says about him? He says he is a saint abroad and a devil at home. Boy, you talk about an indictment. Wow. But let's be honest, an indictment to the church, an indictment to our family at home, See, if our Christian faith, and I realize this, that if our Christian faith does not impact my work habits, does not impact my marriage relationship, does not impact my speech, does not impact my moods, does not impact how I handle my anger, what does it suggest? What does it suggest? Do you think about this? It, it suggests that maybe... Our Christianity is very shallow at best and very fake at worst. I think about this, and I will get into the text. Don't worry. It's a long introduction. I think about our text about loving the na our neighbor when we read in Scripture, loving our neighbor, and I think about being rude to the waitress at the restaurant or thinking horrible thoughts about the driver who cut me off as I'm driving, and I think, what does that help or benefit the kingdom? Well, that's not, that's not about being, oh, it's every part of being Christian. Folks, let me go ahead and tell you, coming to church, a lost man can do that. Being godly, a lost man cannot do that. There's a difference. He can be moral, but he can't be godly. So, you think about this. There are few exhortations in Scripture that are more comprehensive than this one. In back in, yes, I'm going in reverse. In verse 17, please look. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Word or deed takes in everything in life. Deeds can be preaching, they can be teaching, they, it, yes, they can be even eating for the glory of God. They can be exercising, driving, cleaning house, shopping, visiting, working, playing ball, watching television or movies. Uh, 
one of the things I've noticed over the years, the one area that nobody wants you to touch of compartments is entertainment. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. Because that's a sensitive subject. But at the same time, if you think about that, it's very hard to sing songs that talk about sleeping around and be thou my vision. Wow. Well, that was just entertainment, right? Yeah, that's that compartment again, right? Yeah, I know. They shouldn't blend, right? I know. I feel the same way. But Scripture says I'm wrong and says we're wrong. It needs to affect every part of us, really, especially in a day where we worship entertainment. We live in a day, if you want to study history sometime, I was talking with someone last week at church. You know what's really sad is that we live in a day that's vi- that mimics right now greatly the Roman, the Roman culture, the old Roman culture, where they love to see people get in there and beat each other's brains out. Oh, did I say mixed martial arts? We love to celebrate two men marrying. Or or did I say the Roman culture and Claudius, Caligula, and all we go? Wow. Amazing. You look at the Roman culture of old, not now. I'm talking about of old. It's sad. And you see where it led. And you know the one thing they worshipped above everything else? Sports. Sports. The greatest, what we would call rock stars of the old Roman history were athletes and gladiators. Are they now? 20 million a year? 30 million a year? Well, that's not their fault. They're just paying what people... Folks, that's ridiculous. Now, I'm not hammering that I love sports like everybody else. I do. I am saying, though, it was in a place in my life before I knew Christ where I worshipped it. I worshipped it. I did. And I had to pull back away and go, wow. So I'm saying, we go to these Christian buffets and we pick and choose, which leads us to creating compartments in our life. But think about this. Bearing the name of Christ is a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. We suffer persecution as we bear His name, John 15. So when we try to live a godly life, it's going to show, it's going to have an effect on people. So how do we break it down? How do we break down these compartments and stop eating at these buffets? Well, let me tell you about the area called Colossae so we understand a little culture of what's going on. It was one of three cities. It was a, a triage of cities here. One was Hierapolis. The other was that wonderful city we know about called Laodicea. Or was it wonderful? And then there was Colossae. They were all located about 125 miles southeast of Ephesus. It was a rich area. They had a lot of minerals, a lot of merchandising. There was a lot of trading going to and fro to this area. It had a huge population. It was truly a metropolis. It had lots of Jews and lots of Gentiles. They were almost in view of each other, each of the three cities. It was so close. 
So the temptation to blend in in Colossae was strong because they were very worldly, like our culture today. So if you will look, and you'll notice, I want to look at, just for a moment, the old man. Now, agreed, I am moving a little bit different from the text that you have, but I want you just to get a glimpse of the old man in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, right before. Look in 8 and 9, but it says, But now you must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Obscene talk. Wow, that's a... Interesting to talk about today. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so, I want you to know, and I want you to look now for a minute. As we talk about this old man, I want you to know that we have to starve this old man and run away from him. We have to starve him and run away from him. I don't know about y'all, but um, I have weeds that are in my backyard. My backyard is just heavily wooded and has no grass, and so I just get a Roundup-type thing, and I just go to town just, and just spraying everywhere I can. If it, looks, if it has green, it's, it's going down. It's just going down. And the bad thing is, if you look at my front yard, it looks like maybe I've dripped some of that. But anyway, that's another issue. Sorry. We have to starve this old man. And the bad thing is that sometimes the old Todd, if I'm not careful, I'll feed the old Todd. And then I wonder, why is it that I deal with temptations? Not what I mean is we, we're going to have temptations, but why is it that I deal with them and they're so hard for me? One of the reasons is that I'm not starving him. Starve him. One of the things, and Ron and I have talked about this in, in our uh, being of kindred spirit and of Avonlea, we're of kindred spirits with our blood sugar. And one of the things that we have learned and we're both watching is we learned that uh, I don't crave the things I used to quite as bad as, you know, I don't crave them because I'm starving that part of myself. But I can promise you this. You folks that brought dessert today, and if there's chocolate, it's going to be tough for me. I love, love chocolate, especially brownies. I heard Miss Helen brought something that I'm ready to tear up. I'm just ready to go to town on. But the bad thing is, if I feed that old man, I feed that old man, you know what's going to happen, though, within me. It's that Lay's potato chip. I can't have just one. So now I have told you so that I have accountability. But, but seriously, the old man has to be starved because if you'll notice in verse 8, I want you to look there at a phrase there. The phrase there is that we are to put off, put off, put them all away what is it? The word to put away that anger, wrath, and malice, and slander, and obscene talk from our mouth. We're not to lie to one another, seeing that we put off the old self. But I want you to notice something interesting, though, about these two phrases. In verse 8, you will see the phrase. Please do look at it. Put them all away. Verse 9, 
seeing that you have put off. The two verbs are translated differently, one, one in verse 8 differently than it is in verse 9. The one in verse 8 means that you and I are to distance ourselves away from, I need to stay away from anger, wrath, and malice, and slander, and obscene talk. I need to get away from it. Just go away. Just get, get away from it. Go on. Stay away from it. I need to, literally, I need to put it away. These sins of our old life are going to try to seduce us. Romans 6, 6 talks about that, that Christ has put them to death on the cross, but they will try to seduce you like that lady in Proverbs, which is sin. So we need to think about that for a minute because you know what? We know that our old self has been crucified, no doubt, in order that that body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So every time that you return to your old ways, it is a slap in the face of Christ. It is. But He loves me. He loves me. He, he just loves me, you know. He's, it's all under the blood, I agree. But when you run back to it and embrace it like it's your best friend... What are you saying to what Christ has done for you? Folks, that doesn't have power over me. I give it power. I create these compartments and I give it power and then I go to my Christian buffet and I choose this and I avoid that and that's where all of a sudden my testimony starts spiraling down, 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 down. But before we were saved, think about this. We couldn't separate ourselves from sin. I can now. But before we were saved, we could not separate ourselves from sin because sins were the very part of who I was. It was etched in me. It was woven in me. And so in verse 9, put off is different. It's not just about distancing yourself now. The verb in verse 9 about putting off literally means to put a garment away from you. Put that old self and put it over there and leave it there. Quit going back and putting it back on. Not just avoid it. It's off now. Lay it over here and quit going back to it. Or as Scripture talks about, like a dog returns to its vomit. Sounds filthy, doesn't it? Me going back to my old ways is a filthy thing also. The problem that we have today with sin is that we have such a small, mild view of it and God still thinks it's utter, vile wickedness. This garment represents our sinful nature which needs to be literally removed from us. And I want you to think about this, okay? Think about this for a moment. We have the power in our lives to overcome sin. We do. But listen to me now, or I will be misquoted here. But the actual job of distancing ourselves from sin is not the Lord's job. It's your job. He has saved me. He has given me the power. It is my job to be obedient. Some of you, I'm dating myself now, some of you may remember Flip Wilson. If you nod, you have just dated yourself. 
He had a character on there. I'm sorry that I, as a little boy, I watched it. I didn't know better. He had a character named Geraldine he played. And one of the things that Geraldine would say is, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. Folks, the devil hasn't made me do anything. I have chosen to not stay away from it, to not put that garment away from me and not to walk away. That is my fault. It is my fault. Because the very nature of blaming the devil is taking the blame off you. And if you're not a sinner, if you're not a vile, wretched man that we are, then why did Christ have to die? So think about that for a moment. But you know what? We've got to starve this old man. We've got to starve him. You've got to starve those old habits. If you think that you can continue to get near that stovetop and put your finger as close to that hot eye and not get burned, you're showing your foolishness. You will get burned. And let me go ahead and just say, if you want to play the game of seeing how close you can dance to the fire, I promise you, Satan will take you to school. He will take you to school. You better avoid that life, and you have the power to do it. That's the old man, and we have to starve that old man. I mean starve him. New habits, because I want you to look at the next point is that starving the old man is not enough. We have to embrace the new man. Starving the old man's not enough. We have to embrace the new man. We live in a culture today where it says, well, you know what? I'm doing good things now. I'm living a moral life now. You know what? They're talking about starving the old man. But part of being saved is not just starving the old man, but it's actually embracing the new man. As well, in verse 10, we have that phrase. Notice now, verse 10, we do it again. And put on now which we can see it, and in the Greek it clearly means to dress yourself, which is the exact opposite of putting off or to put off one's garments because the Christian is the one that literally has the divine now living inside themselves, but there's still the sinful nature, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. So there is a personal undressing and dressing that needs to happen. The problem is, is that we have some Christians that refuse to undress that old self. We do. We live that way. And it's once, and the interesting thing here, and I want you to see in verse 10 here, where it says to put on the new, literally the Greek there is highlighting the fact that it is indicative of a once and for all. Don't go back to that way. We have to consider who we are. We have to put to death our old nature, Colossians 3.5. Look in 3.5. Colossians 3 is amazing. Put to death. I die daily. We have to put to death. Our old nature and set our affection. Verse 2, chapter 3, set our affections on things above. How do you set them on things above? It talks about it throughout chapter 3. So then when you come to verse 12, and I will move through these quickly because I want you to see them though. 
we have the phrase put on or to dress ourselves with. This is the characteristics of the new man. The old man just isn't moral and faithful to his spouse. The new man acts different. He didn't just clean his life up, morally speaking. Romans 7, Paul describes the constant struggle, as we heard earlier, that he had to conform his outer life to the inner man. See, this is the situation is that once you're saved, Christ is in you. Now, you need to get the outside man to line up with what's on the inside. They need to be in agreement. The outside man needs to look like the inside man. The new man. We need to put on that new man. And lastly, I want you to look at really, what is this new man or this what I would call new outfit? What does it look like? In verse 12, you will see there that we are to put on the garments of compassion. Your version may say mercies. That's where mercy begins inside of someone. The word used here for mercy means to have compassion in an active manner as well as inner sympathy. You and I need to have this inner feeling of pity which outwardly manifests itself in helping the object of mercy. Folks, it's not enough to feel sadness. It needs to show itself in an action. There needs to be compassion. I don't mean sending your money to Compassion International. That doesn't just do it. You need to feel it enough to do something that hurts. You know what hurts worse than writing a check? Giving your time. It's easy for me to write a check. It may bounce, I don't know. But I can write the check. But to go out and do something, that, that is where that rubber meets that road. See, as I mentioned earlier about our brother, Peter, and others that share Christ, please understand this, okay? God's interested more in you being holy than sharing Christ. Because, listen, a lost man can go out and tell somebody what Christ has done and by just going through a structure. Doesn't mean it's happened to him. God's interested in you being holy. I think the highest calling of a Christian is not sharing Christ. It's being holy and obedient. And in so doing, you will want to share Christ. You will want to be faithful. You will want to trust. You will want to obey and everything else. Those will fall in line. So when you go and share Christ with somebody, well, I go out and I tell people about Christ. That's not what I'm asking you. So we put on these garments of compassion, but also it says we're to put on mercy now, but we put on kindness, it says there in verse 12, which means that grace which permeates our whole nature. Gentlemen, I'll have to tell you, and ladies, and my wife can attest to this, I am not really what I would call a kind person. It calms down that harsh, rigid person in you. Galatians 5 uses the same word for as gentleness. We may not always be able to help others, but let me say we must always show the gentle spirit of Christ in us. Be kind. Be gentle. Verse 12 also says we need to cover ourselves with what? Humility, which actually means a state of mind that correctly estimates what you're worth and possessions. Folks, 
we need to, with humility, we need to recognize the people that God's placed above us, spiritually and otherwise, parents, whoever. And we need help those that are not above us that need our help. Humility is understanding where you are in life and that you have nothing and that God could take everything away from you and what do you have left? Folks, don't get too crazy about this place. The Bible talks about we're aliens and strangers. We're sleeping in borrowed beds. Your bed's going to belong to somebody else someday. The clothes you wear will probably belong to someone else or be in a, a, a dump. Don't get too attached. I love my electronics, but let me tell you, it really means nothing in the end. It means nothing. So we have compassion, we have kindness, we have humility, but also then we get to this meekness or gentleness in verse 12 and moving forward. The willingness to suffer injury instead of afflicting injury. Instead of inflicting injury on someone, we're willing to suffer it. The gentle person knows that they are a sinner among sinners and they're willing to suffer the burdens of, that others may impose on you. We love to say that meekness just means strength that's tempered. You know what? Meekness, a real definition, seems to focus on the fact that you're willing to suffer injury and tolerate it. That is why Christ was meek. I think about if he had every right to just smite everyone while he's on the cross and say, away with this foolishness. Meekness, wow. He's willing to suffer the burdens of others' sins that they may have imposed on him. But also, please do look, though. It says there in verse 12, that word that we all so passionately love, patience. But patience, the actual wording of that literally means long temper. The short-tempered person speaks and acts impulsively and lacks self-control. When a person is long-suffering, they can put up with provoking people and circumstances without retaliating. It doesn't matter if you're a redhead. You have no worse a temper than anyone else. Don't tell me it's in your blood and your mama. Don't, don't, don't say that. I know Mark was looking over or something. And, uh, sorry, I saw you, Mark. That's the great thing is I get to see who's snoozing up here and who's listening and nodding and... Now I know you all. I'm just having fun. Redhead means nothing. Well, you know those Irish people, they're tough. Really? I've, I have Irish in my family, and I love potatoes. What does that mean? It, nothing. That means nothing, you know? We look for excuses to excuse our sin because I want to make my sin more palatable, a little less tough, edgy, you know? But that's what patience is, is... A person is to be long-suffering that they can put up with provoking people and not lash back. I truly lack that quality above all. But then notice in verse 13, it also sort of relates to the next one, which is forbearing, which means to endure in spite of persecution, threats, injury, indifference, and complaints. We don't retaliate. Think about Paul who told the Corinthians. Now, notice what, the, what Paul told the Corinthians. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, when we are accused and reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. But what does he say that the Corinthians are doing in chapter 6? 
He says, you're taking each other to court. Why not be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Isn't that better? Well, it's my right. You have no rights. Everything we have is given to us by Christ. Well, forbearing, in verse 13, is connected to forgiving one another. Wow, that... I have to say, 20 years of ministry and counseling, I will tell you, by far, by far, by far, the strongest sin and attribute of of the old self that people don't want to let go of is unforgiveness. Folks, you have no reason to hold grudges toward one another. You have no reasons. But you don't understand. No, I do. Let me tell you how I feel about things. I think about these people that go and they have committed these horrible crimes against children or whatever. And you know what I think? I'm not joking when I say this and I don't brag. I'll push the button for them. But really? Because I feel no compassion towards them. I am wrong. They need Christ. And you know, apart from Christ, it would be me doing stuff. It's just my sins were not so public. They're public to God. So it means that we are to put away forbearing, being willing to tolerate that other people do things. And you know what? That Christ extended His grace toward us. And you know what? I need to extend grace toward those that have sinned against me too. You know, sometimes somebody just doesn't know that you hurt them. They don't know. They, and you don't know that, you know, we don't know sometimes that we've hurt feelings. And unless you come and tell me or you tell that person or they tell you, you don't know to ask forgiveness. Unforgiveness, though, is one that you ever notice the one thing about unforgiveness I want to highlight to you? The one thing about unforgiveness is, you know, the person that hurts, you. You get the ulcer. You're the one that has a hindered walk with the Lord. They're living free. Unforgiveness. Lastly, Paul says in verse 14, which is such a heavy one, everything, the crowning garment of everything of this new outfit, the crowning garment of it is charity or love. It's that type of love that considers others in light of what you can do for them, not what they can do for you. Don't ask this church, what can you do for me? Ask the church, what can you do for it? I have to tell you, as a former pastor, and as Pastor Steve will definitely attest to, you know, and he said it before recently, you know what the greatest blessing is? When someone comes up to him and says, what can I do? I'm I'm not, no, no, what can I do? Aside from taking care of kids, aside from handing out bulletins, working the sound booth, and doing anything that requires any time, what can I do? No, what can I do? You just take, you tell me. It doesn't matter. If you need the bathroom, clean, that's a, just tell me, what do you need? That is a blessing. Everything that we are to have on in our new outfit is wrapped in love, and that needs to motivate us to do for others, not asking what they can do for me. It's what ties everything together in the beautiful bow. So I close by saying to you, how do you break down these compartments? You remember about this old man, and you put him away. 
You put him away and starve him to death. You remember the new man and that you've been changed and that you are to be a different person and you have Christ living in you where you can. And what does that new man wear? He's got a new outfit and he needs to wear it. Well, I just can't. No, I'm just, I'm struggling. No, do it. Do it. Quit with the self-help, the Dr. Phil, the Oprah, and all that other nonsense. And read the Bible. Seriously. It does not matter about all this other foolishness. Do what the Word of God says. So the way you break down compartments of our life, of your life, and to avoid the Christian buffet, that's the way you do it. That is the way you do it. Let's pray, Father, in the name of Christ. Please be high and lifted up, not so that we may get glory, but so that you may be pleased. Lord, please forgive the things that I should have said and didn't, and forgive the things that I did say that I probably should not have. But I am thankful that in the end that you use broken vessels as we see in Corinthians, those broken pots. So, Lord, we pray that you would keep us humble. Help us to realize, Lord, that anything good in us is because of you. And help us to starve that old man to death. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.